Hi, this is Sean Cahill, and you're listening to the UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome to that UFO Podcast live on YouTube. Joining me is meant to be Dan, who isn't quite here yet over from the live chat of the the brandon fugel interview uh, if you're joining us straight from brandon's interview thank you very much people are just getting on board hello to everyone in the live chat if you're listening to this on the audio then hello i have dan in the green room he's just getting his makeup done give him a second yep putting down a starbucks yet the production team have gave him the go-ahead and they're sending him in now and the crowd goes mild hi dan welcome mild. <laughs> yeah how's it going it's going good. I I left the live chat a minute or two early on Brandon's side because we have a guest waiting, and so I've, I've been chatting to. It's, it's no surprise that I've not that it's not a good one, but you know pe- people know I've announced that he's coming in. Will we just bring him in now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, very quickly though. Um, happy birthday to Crash Band sixty nine in the live chat. It, it was it was in there before, so very very it's happy birthday. For birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Without further ado, though, uh, Mr. Chris Plain from the debrief joins us. Uh, Chris, how are we? I'm great. Hey, uh, Dan, is this the first time we've met? It is. Yeah, I was just going to say, Chris, it's lovely to meet you. I missed you You last time. You're you're big enough that I make the time for you now, man. You know? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, right. I finally moved up a notch. (laughs) Uh, I'll just sit here, shall I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, You you two crack on. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Have you seen Obi-Wan yet, Chris? Uh, you know what? All right. So if they popped them on early last night. They have not. I was really okay. debating it. It was right around like midnight when I was thinking about it. And I said, I have like five interviews today. Uh, oh, because man. They had the big story coming. And I just said, man, I don't think I can do it. So no spoilers. Soon as time. I'm off, off with you guys, I have Christina. And then I have somebody else at like six. And then at like 7, 8 p.m., I told my wife, so I'm laying on the couch and watching both <laughs> Obi-Wans and doing nothing. So, yeah. I love that. I love that the, it, it's such a big day in terms of releasing UAP footage and stuff. But still, we're, we're just human. Oh, yeah. you know? We, we have our things. See, my, this is my uh, Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi yeah. poster behind me. So I'm a Star Wars nerd for sure. So. Man, like no spoilers for me, but I think you're going to love it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it was 50-50 on Boba Fett. It was all right. So I'm... And I love the Mandalorian, so I think I have high hopes for this. Nice, Listen, nice. it's it's been a big day for geeks in general, like you say, because Stranger Things, I believe, dropped. Uh, I saw Graham Rendell talk about, yep. about that yep. earlier. Yep, the, the new <laughs> Star Wars Obi-Wan series dropped. And there was a small matter of a, a video uh, and article being released today by the debrief, um, which we're going to talk about uh, because that was something you uh, had a part to play, didn't you, Chris, along with Tim McMillan and Micah Hanks? Sure, over sure. at the debrief um so just to recap folks you you should have seen by now but i appreciate some people may not have for example elizabeth in the chat it's 6 30 a.m over in australia just now so maybe things have happened during the night for some of the listeners for some of the folks watching um the debrief mentioned during the week i won't use the word hype i don't think there was a lot of hype around this necessarily like we've had in the past for some but announced that you know what there's going to be an article dropping uh, it's likely there's going to be one video as part of that and essentially what we got was an article today from the debrief by, by Tim, by Micah and by Chris, where uh, we, we got a new video of what appears to be a UAP, relatively short video, but it's it's uh, multiplied and duplicated with different frames and uh, different filters over the, the actual footage itself. Um, filmed in November 2018, around 40 miles from Tucson, Arizona, uh, by an Apache helicopter and its systems used on there. How did this come about for you, Chris? How long has this one been in the pipeline? So this started back in January, Andy. And uh, we got contacted. Uh, there are two gentlemen who do a relatively new podcast for the debrief named uh, Stefan Gerhardt and Josh Rutledge. And they do the uh, Convergence Enigma. Uh, they do the Paranormal Fearscape podcast. And they come on and been doing like a Tech Talk podcast for us. And they reached out to me in January and said, hey, Chris, we just spoke to this guy, Andy, and he's got this Twitter, I guess, uh, Instagram account, uh, NYUAP discussion, and he's got a whistleblower. He has a guy inside the Department of Homeland Security who was a Border Patrol agent who has already released some footage and has some more footage that he wants to release, and he's finally ready to talk. He's finally ready to put his story out. Now, for me... At that point, I got to be honest, 
the rubber duck video, the A10, and the La Bruja, the three that he had released already, those had kind of come and gone, and I hadn't noted them. So uh, because I write science at the debrief, I do love UFOs, and I do definitely cover them. Uh, but the bulk of what I write is not that category. <clears throat> so I stay abreast, I stay attuned. But when they reached out to me and said, this guy, so, I, you know, he's ready to come forward. So uh, <clears throat> I reached out to Andy and he put me in touch with Bob Thompson. Bob is the uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, Customs and Border Patrol agent who is uh, listed in the article. <clears throat> and uh, a couple key things came out even before we got started. Uh, those three videos I mentioned before, they had been on the internet and Andy had put them up, but they didn't really have any providence, you know, and we know anybody who spends any time on UFO Twitter was what I do in my free time is there's videos every day. There's triangles and CGI, this and that. And you just never know. So when those came out, they just kind of came and went past me real quick and I just didn't register them. So when they told me, oh, it's the guy behind the rubber duck video, I said, oh, okay. And I tracked it down and I started watching stuff on the internet and I started doing research and I said, okay, there might be something here. So I had that initial conversation with Bob and Andy. <clears throat> and by the end, I was on with them for over an hour and uh, recorded the whole thing. Some of those quotes actually made the story. And at the end of the conversation, I knew we had something. I knew... You know, when you interview people, especially when you write news stories, which I've been doing now for a year and a half, you can really often tell pretty early on if you're dealing with somebody who has an agenda or somebody who's legitimately just telling you something. And there was no doubt in my mind that Bob was who he said he was, that he was uh, this, you know, had this pedigree. And what he told me was, Chris, these videos are the tip of the iceberg. He said, we're seeing this all the time. I've seen things, pilots. And again, the way it works here in the States is for them to patrol the border, they have the Department of Homeland Security kind of overseeing it all. You have National Guard airplanes, which are basically military airplanes. And then you have Customs and Border Patrol officers on those planes reading the equipment, looking for smugglers and human trafficking and other crimes along the border. <clears throat> so... He told me, he says, this is across the board. Pilots are seeing things. Agents are seeing things. People that operate this equipment. And something else he told me that made the story was just the sheer volume of time these guys spend on this equipment and the number of things they have to discern. They have a CIA airbase right where they are. There's an Air Force uh, facility, I believe. And he just told me, he says, we see everything. You name type of airplane, type of drone, animal, jackrabbits, you know, I mean, quadcopters, predator, you name it, we see it, and we just know what it looks like. It's what we look at all day. The comparison he used for me is like a radiologist looking at x-rays all day. They know what a tumor looks like. And all of a sudden, he's seeing something on his camera that he just doesn't know what it is. And these other agents are telling him the same thing. So he reached out to agents and said, hey, we have no formal method to report this. Bring this stuff to me. He went to his bosses at the Border Patrol and said, I'd like to essentially create an ATIP. And that's what happened. He saw the 2017 reports and he learned about ATIP. And he said, we're a uniformed militarized service who's seeing these UAPs on American soil and above American soil. We're not talking in the middle of the ocean like the Navy or off the coast. We're talking right along the border between Arizona and Mexico, which is where he was working. So sure enough, agents start bringing him stuff and telling him stuff. And as he pointed out, all four of these videos he's released were nothing. He wasn't on the plane for any of them. So these are representative of the work of multiple agents and multiple pilots seeing things. And he, he went to his bosses. They gave him the okay. He wrote up what's called an issue paper. And uh, he has since retired. He retired in January of this year. But uh, it is his belief that, uh, that that started the ball rolling and that the Department of Homeland and the Border Patrol uh, are putting together uh, essentially reporting procedures. So just like in the Navy and, and hopefully in the other branches of the military here in the States, 
these guys have a way to avoid stigma and go ahead and report encounters when they have them. I think that's really important. Dan, hi. Uh, hi. I'm going. To, I'm going to ask you. Uh, what were your thoughts on on the video? I was kind of working at the time, and we were texting and going back and forward in the group chats and stuff. But um, you you read the article. You've seen the video. What were your kind of instant takeaways? I mean, if if it was possible to burn out a digital file by watching it too much, I would have done that already. Uh, it, it's a really interesting video. It starts. You know, you you look like you're just looking at aircraft through through uh, a system, and as they get nearer, the way that these three objects move around each other is extremely interesting because they they exhibit basically g forces that if there was a person inside, I mean, one one we can't make anything that moves like that. Two, I thought it was interesting that they kind of sling around each other like like an orbit as opposed to a smooth arc. You know, it, it's like there's something in the middle there. Um, and and three, it appears that you know if there was a human in there, they would just be turned to goo. That that's all that would happen. And and it's real interesting because it, it's one of those videos that you look at and you just kind of go, "Whoa, things we make don't move that way." What's that? You know? It, it looks like an advert for Top Gun. You're right, the new movie um, available in cinemas <laughs> now. We're not being sponsored or paid by them, but I hear it's very good. Um, but like you say, you've got that kind of gun cam footage that a layman like myself would call it, even though that is not what it is. And you can see basically that they are they're filming. They're not really doing too much. And then in the the kind of top right of the the picture, three objects. Which to be fair, I miss it first when I first watched it. I was like, I, I didn't see anything there, but they were yeah, talking about me it. Yeah, and then you realise the video overlaps and over. Sorry, it keeps playing and keeps playing, and it um it loops and it, the filters change and then it shows you the three objects. But then I never noticed again the second or third time that they move and loop, and then there's that that movement which is very very interesting. It's in a sort of loose triangular formation. The looping happens, and then as it moves on past, it goes back into formation, and that's it. That that's the end of the video. Is it astonishing when you just watch the video? No. However, there is a context to it, and like you say, with some of the quotes within the article as well, it, it gives that kind of extra credibility to it. I think I said to people before this even came out, as I've said, every single time we get a drop of anything from anyone, temper your expectations. Don't be expecting HD videos of Tic Tacs 40 feet off of pilots' wings. We're not getting that anytime one soon. Day. One Probably. day. Yeah, maybe one day. But... We've got a very interesting video with some very interesting background. I think what you, you mentioned, Andy, NYUAP. I was DMing Andy last night as well because I made a comment and Andy has a habit of going off the deep end a little bit with his really quickly. And yeah, I didn't that. know who he was before this, so I've had de minimis interaction with him. But Yeah, and Andy can get very passionate, let's just say, very quickly and very defensive. And I said to him, you know, when it comes out, well done for getting it out. It's a lot to bring this kind of stuff forward again, especially after last time and his kickoffs that you had online. I yep. was like, and I said, just let the, the, the footage speak for itself because people will have an opinion one way or another, no matter how good it is. And he wasn't happy with how I worded that, to which he misunderstood how I phrased, you know, let it speak for itself. And he DM'd me and we spoke and everything else. And that was fine. Great. But... um. Like I say, he's done well to get it out. It's a lot to put anything out there like that because you're always going to get that intense scrutiny. Chris, what have you seen so far from the comments online? I'm guessing you'll have seen some stuff. I know you've been on and off interviews all day, but sure. what, what have those commentaries been like and anything that stood out to you? Uh, I So before, you know, obviously it's a mixed bag. When I wrote a review last week for the REL School documentary, in that review I said, uh, UFO news has a pattern that we should all be used to, which is first there's a rumor that news is coming, which builds the excitement. Then there's a lot of guessing as to what it's going to be. Then there's a lot of people telling me it's not going to be anything. Then it comes out and you have two distinct reactions. You have, wow, this is amazing. And wow, this is total garbage. And I think we got a, a good share, a good heavy share of both of those today. I think the people that you would expect to look at it and say it's birds or insects are the people that came out and did that. And uh, I, I think the people that took the time to read the 4,500 words that my partners and I put together and actually read the testimony from other pilots who analyzed the video and from video experts, 
they see that there's way more here than than uh, insects or birds, and that for these guys who are experts at doing this, they're looking at it saying it seems to be something else, a physical something, craft or something moving in a way that uh, craft normally don't move. So uh, <clears throat> our goal in building a little anticipation around this story was the idea that we felt we had a big story and that it was that inside the Department of Homeland Security and the Border Patrol and the National Guard, they're seeing the same things that the Navy pilots are seeing. So to us, that was the story. But in the UFO world, and fair enough, when it word comes out that video is coming, video becomes the headline. So I think uh, the, the video, you know, when I first saw it, I didn't see it back when I interviewed these guys in January. I actually, after I had that initial interview and I realized there was something there, I went to Tim and I went to Micah and I said, look, you guys are the bosses here and you're the experts on this stuff. This feels like a Tim and Micah story. This doesn't feel like a Chris Blaine story. <clears throat> so they went to work doing what they do, verifying that people were legitimate, verifying professional backgrounds. And then, as you saw, taking that video, getting it to experts and having them watch it and evaluate it. When I first saw the video the first time, we were in a group chat at work and it was on a little screen like this on my laptop. And I couldn't see anything. And I'm watching it, and Chrissy and, uh, and and the rest of the team, they're going, wow, look at that. Look at the way those things are moving. I'm going, I can't see anything. Since then, I've had the opportunity, like a lot of people, to have it on YouTube, to put it on my big TV in HD, and actually watch the movement of these objects. And if you have the ability to do that, to put it on a big 4K TV and actually watch it, I think people will be a little more impressed with what's there. And then I, I think just the scientific analysis, the work that's being done. And that's what's happening tomorrow and Sunday in uh, Utah is this big conference. And they have experts coming out, analyzing the video, talking about the video. And I can tell you that other than noted critics, every pilot, every Air Force person, everyone, even people that spoke on background that looked at this for us, had the same opinions that fighter pilot Chris Lato and Ryan Graves and the other people that spoke on record, which is this was unusual. This didn't look like birds or insects. And I always come back to, and for me, the key point was what Bob said to me, and it kind of rounds out the story at the end. And that one of my quotes made the story there at the end where he said, I have thousands of hours doing this. He even told me a line that didn't make the article, which is, no offense to fighter pilots out there, but those of us that have to patrol the border and look through these FLIR equipment and these other things, we have to do this for 8, 10, 12-hour shifts, seven days in a row. You know, we have so many hours on this equipment. We can pick out anything. We can pick out a quadcopter from a, a, a – we can tell you if it's a retail one or if it's a, a military level. They have so much ability to pick out what's on that video. And when they look at this video and some of the others, they're stumped. And that was the term Bob used at the end. He says, I feel like I'm as expert as there is at looking at this stuff. And I'm stumped. Dan, I, I feel like... uploaded the video. I'm going to... Dan, has it got audio on it? Um, it has, but the audio doesn't really matter. That's not... That's, that's I'm not... going to... If you want to talk, I'll play the video so folks on the chat can, can see the video in the background because we've been talking about it for a while. So. Sure, sure. Sure. So this video is just kind of a, a close-up uh, portion that's looped. Um, and I took a little screen capture of it because I thought it was interesting because you can almost see some shapes within the orbs there. And and it could be argued that there are some spheres in cubes there. Uh, and, and I just wanted to kind of highlight that because... It's the, interesting the movement... you would say that because that did come up in the research, but it was something we decided not include because we didn't think it was it was definitive enough. But that... That observation came to us from more than one person as well. That That's super interesting because what we're essentially looking at is kind of a copy of a copyright. So there's some degradation in the image and the yeah. original might be able to kind of shed some more light on, on what we're looking at here. But I, I thought it was interesting because you can definitely see some right angles within those circles. And, and you know, I, I can't say definitively, but it's interesting that you guys came up with that too. Yeah, the... Uh... The, the cube within the sphere and the thing that Ryan Graves spoke about, that, 
like I said, that I don't want to attribute it to anyone directly because we chose not to use it within the story, but it came up more than once and more than one person mentioned it when looking at these videos. More than one expert. Dan, you're definitely right, though, that it could be any number of things, especially with the quality of the, you know what we are looking at here. Like you yep. say, Chris, as well, we're looking at uh, a screen through a screen through a screen, and it, is it the original image? No. So it's important. And, and someone said, oh, you're reaching. But maybe, yeah, it, it could be, but it, it looks like it doesn't mean it is. I went and watched Dave Falch, uh, his analysis, which mm-hmm. is quite a short 11-minute video. Again, I thought it was pretty useful. Again, to a layman like myself, he explained why it almost definitely isn't bugs, why it isn't birds, for those who like me saying the word bird, there you go, um, how it's not birds, and uh, why it's not other aircraft as well. Um, I think the movements definitely kind of give way to anything like that. I thought what was interesting, you mentioned the movements themselves. Your, your colleague, Tim McMillan, has been very active on Twitter um, all day. And he said uh, on Twitter that speaking to other uh, military witnesses when discussing the patterns of movement and behavior, the words like non-mechanical or organic are coming up yep. to describe the movement. We've said before, Dan, on the podcast, like houseflies and how they move in a very strange way that no matter how you try and predict it and try and hit it or you know get it out your way and swat a fly, always seems to move and be ahead of you and those those tic tacs almost seem to to mirror that too we've just uh dan's going to jump out and come back in sorry um but uh i thought that was really interesting based on the movements a lot of debunkers will look and go well it's probably a bird or a bug but it could just be that some of these craft or if these are orb type objects and i hate labeling them when you can't really make anything out maybe that's the movement is just like a fly or a bird rather than an aircraft. Can I address this, Andy? Because I think this is a really important point. I saw it coming up on Twitter this morning as well. And uh, I think it's significant in a number of ways. First of all, straight up, Fravor and Dietrich described the motion of the Tic Tac as the same way, as bouncing around like an insect, bouncing around in science, there's a thing known as levy motion. It's named after a scientist named Levy, but levy motion. And you'll see levy motion a lot in insects, which is what you're describing. You also see it a lot in sharks. And sharks use it so if they're hunting underwater, they have a certain pattern, happens completely unconsciously in their head. But as it turns out, scientists who analyze this pattern found it to be the most efficient way to hunt and search an area. So people, it automated processes that use searches will use that levy motion. And so for a shark, it's come into an area, search around, bounce over here, search around, come over here. And there's a certain motion to it. And Tim and I, way back when I joined the debris, he and I had a lengthy discussion about levy motion and how often it shows up in these UAP UFO accounts. And in Okay, let me put it this way. If I were on another planet, I'm just going to go here, right? And I'm sending a probe to evaluate humans on Earth. I'm sending a, uh, you know, a self-replicating, uh, I forget the term for it, but uh, uh, I, I'm sending a probe or group of probes here. They would be programmed to operate in the most efficient way. That in the air, when searching or analyzing, is levy motion. So to say that it's a a motion that's typically seen in a biological entity is completely accurate. For somebody to look at that, yeah, these move like insects and they move move like birds is an accurate analysis. Definitely within science, levy motion is is a thing and they definitely seem to be exhibiting something along those lines. The interesting thing is so many UAPs that are definitely not birds and definitely, I mean, I don't think that the Dietrich or Fravor think the Tic Tac was a bird, right? Like, so, so many things that are not birds are exhibiting this levy motion. And, and a number of people brought that up on Twitter today. I think that's critically important because, again, I'm somebody who leans towards if there is an extraterrestrial explanation, I'm less likely, for scientific reasons, for little guys and craft flying here from another ship, And I'm more likely to automated probes. First of all, it's just something we already do. We send probes to other planets. We send probes out. So if there is somebody 20, 30, 40 light years away, and they just have technology slightly ahead of us, can use directed energy propulsion, 
they could get a probe here in 50 years. I mean, you know, the, the Vi uh, Voyager has been in space for over 50 years. We still get information from it. So it just doesn't seem that bizarre to me that they move that way. If anything, it, it, it lends credibility to an intelligently operated system. And it also could be we're seeing a natural phenomenon. Maybe this is a life form that's, you know, uh, native to Earth that operates in the atmosphere and has this ability to travel at these insane speeds and do these insane things. And even if that's what it is, uh, that's a heck of a discovery. Yeah, it's fascinating. Man, a lot of our kind of technology and science will replicate things that we find in nature. So it would be incredible to find a process like that and yep. start bio-inspired technology, or or yep, exactly, nature-inspired yeah. technology. It's one of the most common things I write about. Uh, whether it's uh, spider webs or the movement of fish, the way corals communicate with each other, I could I could list a hundred articles where I've mentioned that on some level. Uh, soft robots, dynamic robots, all kinds of things in particular in drones and robots, we're developing a craft that flies like a manta ray underwater that will go through the clouds of Venus. That's under development right now. So we are so bio-inspired. I, I just don't think it's a weird thing that they move that way. No, not at all. And, and we certainly seem to, as we go forward and we're kind of, you know, there's a lot of conversation as to whether we're going to augment ourselves with technology. And at a certain point, the, the line between artificial and biological kind of becomes blurred and, and yeah. moot. So even though we're talking about, oh, it could be a probe, it could be biological, it could be both at the same time. Yeah, sure. You know? I've often said if you were going to send a probe to another planet from Earth, you would want someone. So think of like a, tr a seed, like a, a seed from an acorn can grow an entire oak tree. So rather than sending a ship to another planet, what you'd want to do is send a seed to a, a ship that would get on that planet, load and use the localized material to build the probe or to build the ship or to build the technology that's doing it. It's just by far the most efficient way. Sending information is much easier than sending large amounts of matter, a big, large ship. So, uh, for my money, I don't think it's unrealistic that that's how we're going to go about. We're already working on nanotechnology and robots. I don't know if you guys saw the article about the, the little remote-controlled crab guy that can crawl did, around yeah. and yeah. yeah, It's a matter of time before that's the type of thing where we use something like directed energy where we could push something up to about the quarter to the speed of light, which could have it around the orbit of uh, Proxima Centauri in about 20 years. And, and so why not send something that when it gets there, it can use the local material to build its own ship rather than sending a whole ship there. That That's beautiful. It, it just occurs to me that we could also be super efficient and just kind of go, oh, a meteor is going past us. We can just put a building block on that and it can take it wherever. Carry on. Amen. You know? Dan, we have, we have discussed before about artificial intelligence. And again, I'll, I'll put people like myself who, who misunderstand at times what it is and how it could potentially be used. In videos like this, is there a place for something like AI to analyze it and help us get more information than we may already have? Because what, what we don't seem to have with this, like with any of these other videos, is additional data. Is that something that you think, uh, Dan, I'll put this to you first and I'll come to Chris, that would be useful with videos like this to tell us, look, here's why it's not bugs, birds, and, and otherwise other kind of worldly objects? Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one 
that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially what we have at the moment are, are neural nets and they you, you kind of feed known data into them and they compare it to things that are unknown. So we can give it a million images of birds and it can tell us pretty much with, with you know, 99.9% certainty that something is a bird in a video. So there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can get rid of by uh, using processes like that. But it's hard to kind of, all you can do is say, this is unknown. You can't go, this is alien, because we have nothing to compare it to, you know? Yep. Chris, yeah, was yeah. there additional data? I was going to ask you, Chris, was there additional data that was, was asked for or there just wasn't anything available or anything like that for this one? <clears throat> so... The video that we provided, we provided everything we have and everything we were given. Whether or not there is more data on that, I don't know. So whether or not Bob has more data to provide or whether or not there's more information on a DHS uh, airplane or hard drive somewhere, I don't know. But no, that's all we provided. I can tell you that the, the people that are experts in these systems, and I think Dave Fouch is the one you mentioned, uh, all of them will tell you that uh, this FLIR system is not designed to pick up insects, right? It's not designed to pick up something that close to the craft and then that small of a mass. So I still say that if you want to make an argument that some sort of birds are way off in the distance, they're flying in a very unusual way and they move across the horizon in such an extreme, like there may be some scenario I'm not coming up with, but, but uh, yeah, as far as uh, artificial intelligence, you know, what's interesting is you read about this stuff all the time, but like what Dan was referencing, like a relational database, they call it, where you can give the comparative data and it can compare against. The thing about AI is it really is learning. It's some of the really good new cutting edge AI. So like pharmaceutical companies will have a bunch of tests they've done on different drugs and they'll plug all the data in there. And the scientists are stumped and the AI will come back and say, ah, oh, you should try this combination you never thought about. And sure enough, they have a functional working drug or a functional working treatment. So AI has the opportunity to look at things in a new way too. And that's why it's interesting. It's not just <clears throat> compared against this database of knowns, but it's also to offer alternatives. It's also to turn to the computer and go, computer, what do you think it is? Dan, where, where we stand now, we're what, 10 hours or eight hours after the release of, of the article and the video where does this sit with you at this point? You've had a few hours to digest it, have a watch of the video, go away, go back to it. Where where do things sit with you? It, I mean, I'm really intrigued by it. I'm looking forward to to the people who are a lot smarter than me kind of breaking it down for, for me in the next 24 hours. Uh, I'll take in and absorb as much as I can. And no doubt there'll be some kind of disagreement with that on Twitter, which I'll look at too. You know, I'll, I'll give both the time of day. But as of now, it, it's a video for me that... After a few times watching it, I genuinely think we have a public video that shows one of the five observables. Yep. Chris, what and about I would, yourself? I would say that uh, I'm always skeptical because as the head science editor and science writer over the debrief, I'm one of these guys that likes information, I like data, and I like it to add up. With that being said, uh, this data doesn't all add up. There's something about this video that is unusual. And, uh, you know, our job is to report it. For us, the big story is still the fact that the, the DHS and all these people are just seeing this on a regular basis. And we have an entire uniform service personnel seeing UAPs and recording them. And I think there's going to be more videos and more instances of that because of the fact and the fact that they now will have an open avenue to report it like our other military pilots do. So I think the significance of the story is big. As far as the significance of the video, I think that's going to have to be for the experts. But I will tell you that after Tim shopped it around to the pilots, he did shop it around to in the development of this story. And he came back with the quotes and analysis he did. I was pretty, pretty stoked because I was like a lot of people. I just didn't see a lot. I'm, I definitely see motion that seems bizarre. And I definitely see something. And I said, hey, if these experts look at this and say, this is something I regularly don't see and I think it's real. Uh, so for me, it's more about what the experts are saying about the video and the backstory to it. 
the actual video itself is three little dots moving around. It's really hard, for, you know, if I'm being completely honest. So that was my take. I think the analyzed videos and what Chrissy is telling me is going to be presented at the conference around those. I think that's going to add a lot more. And I think there is going to be more about likely sizes, likely masses, likely distances. And I think there's a lot more calculation that will, that will lend to that. <clears throat> I think they rightfully so were holding a lot of that for the conference. I think letting us write the story and letting us point the, the video out there was the front part of their approach. So we're a news service. We reported on it. But as a, as a conference, and they have all these people there in Utah and a lot of experts, and a lot of this is carrying over the following weekend. You know, the SCU, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, has their conference next weekend. There's a feeling that their analysis, their final analysis of the rubber duck video, which also came from Bob Thompson, and these other videos may likely be released at that conference, that that may be part of what they've been holding on to and why we weren't able to get it for this story, because they've been working on those analyses for a long time. So I think there's more to come by smarter people that know more about this stuff than me. So I, I think that's what I'm hoping for. If I woke up in the morning, somebody emailed me this debrief article, and all I did was scroll down to the YouTube and hit play, I would have went, eh, another UFO video and went back to bed. I'm going to encourage people to go and read the article. The link will be in the description, and people should have hopefully read it already. You'll find it on any of the Debrief social media channels or the debrief.org. Um, check out the, the quotes and the comments again from a... Uh, an, an anonymous uh, Air Force officer who, who talked just about the, the article. I just want to let people go and read that themselves. I was going to read out the quotes, but people can go yeah. and do that. Um, you, you've mentioned a few times, and we're going to move on to a few other news articles to discuss um, the the UFO Disclosure Symposium, which is the 27th, 28th, and 29th. Um, your colleague, Micah Hanks, is there. Um, As is Chrissy Newton. Chrissy's there. Uh, yep. Tim Taylor, Avi Loeb. Yep. There's also a mix of other names where I think the credibility, just in my opinion, goes down the other side of the credibility scale. Um, but to focus on the positive side of the Disclosure Symposium for the moment, the, the videos being reviewed, there are four videos, and I think this is where some people got confused about what may or may not be coming out, yeah. because it was the three videos you mentioned from Andy previously, the mm -hmm. La Bruja, the A10, and yeah. Rubber Duck. Um, those were all being reviewed and the analysis was going to be done, but also on this video too. So this is the new video they were talking about. What what are you expecting to come from that then, Chris? You've touched on, you know, potentially yeah. more and they've, they've given this video as a release it, but do you think we're going to get something that pushes this further down the line? Well, as far as like a new, the videos are what they are. So I don't think suddenly like we're going to wake up tomorrow and there's going to be a new video of the video or, you know, so, but as far as what's actually the analysis of these videos and what these uh, FLIR experts and scientists and other people that are looking at it, I do think that's going to be new information. I do think their analysis is going to put it in a new light because that's why they're doing it. You know, if they looked at it and said, we couldn't give you any more information, they wouldn't be spending months looking at it. I can tell you part of that is the big delay. When we got this story in January, we were ready to go. You know, we're a news outlet. As I tell people all the time, this story was a big story for us today, but it was one of four that went up on the website. We'll have three more stories tomorrow, four more on Monday. We're a news site, so we're constantly cranking out news. So for us, it was a one-story event. But it took these months because they were putting together this conference and they were having the scientific analysis done. So I think uh, my expectation is very high for that scientific analysis. At the same point, I think you make a good point. I don't know who's all presenting there, but again, I see on Twitter that some people came out and said, ah, you've got this yuckle head there and you've got this, you know, monkey over there. And, you know, you got some really morons mixed in. I think that's unfortunately the community we're in. I think that's the, the, the two sides of the, the, of the community. I can tell you if it were debrief event, it would be a completely different panel. And as you know, when we report on UFOs, you get military sources, and you get science sources. You don't get anecdotal sources, and you don't get... I mean, we even quoted Mick West in the article. I don't know who else puts out new UFO video that, yep. and quotes Mick West right in the article. 
But that is our approach. We are trying to present it as news. This is what we've been told. This is what we've heard. We did our research and verified it. So if we were doing a UFO conference, yeah, I think it would be people from the SCU. I think it would be probably some of those critics uh, like Mick West and people like that. We would invite people like that. As far as the other people they have at this conference, I don't know. You know, I, I think in the UFO community, somewhere between uh, Anjali in the desert and Stephen Greer and, uh, you know, maybe over on this side, it's like the pure SCU conference where it's just PhDs. I think this one kind of seems to land right in the middle there somewhere. Yeah, Adrian made a good point here, I think. He he said that it's better than the footage that we got from the AOI MSG during the hearings, which I think is a very valuable and fair comment. We're actually getting analysis within 24 hours of seeing the video. We've got a lot of backstory and context to it. And, and that's what's usually lacking when you get these UFO videos online. They come with no kind of chain of custody and no one's checked the legitimacy. So I really that's respect that you guys video. took the time. You know, that DOD video, when a, when a plane is flying that fast, that literally could just be a balloon in the sky, or it really could be like a craft zipping the other way. That's what's so impressive to me about this video that, that was put out, is it's shot from an airplane sitting still. You know, that airplane is on the runway sitting still. So the, the uh, I'll be honest, when I was watching the, the, uh, the congressional hearings, and they kept like trying to like line up that video. When they finally got it lined up and played it right, I thought it was cool. Like I was like, all right, that's a little thing zipping by. I was more impressed by the video that we put out. So, yeah, yeah. I, th I thought it was pretty interesting. Like you say, the the conference is on. If people have an interest, you can check out the UFO Disclosure Symposium. It's on now. There are tickets available online. You can attend it in person, but I'm guessing at this point it would be be a stream. Um, and there are some other releases as part of that. And that's yep. if that's to your taste, then go and check that out. But yeah, not I won't be watching some of that stuff. But what does yeah. interest me is what comes from the analysis and the people. And like, I think all that ends media. up in the public, Andy. I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, it no. is my my understanding from the people behind that conference. I have had zero interaction with them. Chrissy and Tim and Mike have done all the work coordinating that. But it is my understanding that at some point we're going to get all of that. We're going to get every expert's analysis on this video, uh, not just um, – you know, Mick West and the guys on, on YouTube or on uh, Twitter, but we're going to get these scientists who just put it through the rigor and, and we'll see what they come up with. Well, one thing that did come out today is separately to the debrief was another article in the Daily Mail here in the UK. And essentially it was that NASA is joining the hunt, I believe is some of the phrasing used. But this is that NASA and obviously we know Bill Nelson, the current admin of NASA, is briefed on the UAP subject, has been within his uh, former role within government, is, is a big proponent and fan of NASA being involved within the UFO and UAP subject. And they have essentially promised a few big bullet points, promising to review old footage that they have on NASA. Um, and I don't know if that means going through those, those YouTube videos, Dan, that we've looked at before and, you know, the terror incident, things like that. Probably some footage that we've not seen looking to speak with astronauts about experience of UAP, very similar to what the, the US Navy and the pilots and the, the men and women who serve have been encouraged to come forward and do. And it looks like they're really trying to push that destigmatization and get in on this conversation. Dan, I'll bring you in on that one first. What are your thoughts on, on NASA getting more involved? Well, we, we've heard things about this before you know Lou Elizondo has spoken about it uh, we've seen Bill Nelson talk about them taking the the issue seriously but this is the first that I've heard it specified that they'll be looking to build a kind of complementary working group which again Chris is similar to what Bob was saying right in the DHS it seems like there are all these different parts of the government now building their own little working groups that are finally going to work together I'm I'm a little frustrated by the NASA news. I think it's good and bad, and let me tell you why. First of all, I'm really glad Bill Nelson's following up. I wrote that story a year ago when he first came out and said, uh, you know, this is our job. This is what we do at NASA, and we're going to look into this. And I've seen those videos, and he's the one who regularly says things like, uh, I hope it's not an adversary. I hope it's extraterrestrial. That would be better news for us, right? <clears throat> I think what's frustrating, okay, first of all, I'm happy that the guy at the Daily Mail beat me to the punchline because I've been chasing this story at NASA through my contacts for months. But I, in the end, I see how they beat me there, and it's unfortunate. At NASA, because it's publicly funded in the States, 
NASA has a certain way they typically do missions. And the mission will be chosen by a committee. Then it will be given like a name, like the Artemis mission, right? Is going back to the moon, right? So it'll be given a name. It'll be given even like a mission badge or whatever. They'll have a project leader, project manners. They will have assigned duties. They will have timelines. They will have agendas. They will have all kinds of stuff that comes out of creating a mission or a, a mission directorate. A working group is almost like an email chat within a place like NASA. So it's not nothing, but it's just kind of like, hey, go out and get together these videos, talk to these astronauts. Like it's putting some legwork in and it could definitely be the predecessor to an official mission. But what we were really hoping for NASA was, okay, we're undertaking the UAP issue. It's called, you know, Operation you know, clear skies or whatever they want to call it. And here's the head of that. Here's the budget for it. Here's the annual, because all of that stuff is voted on by Congress, NASA's budget, the way it's handled in the States. It's all, you know, they have a, a public fiduciary duty on all this. So working group is a way to kind of look at it, but kind of not have to commit to anything, not have to commit to reporting or releasing anything, you know, a an actual mission would have a release schedule, would have direct spe specified goals. This has no goals. Uh, no, We don't know who is working on it, no personnel. So by them putting in a working group is a little frustrating at this phase because we really thought after last summer's announcement that by this summer, which we're rounding on in a few weeks, we would have an official team at NASA with a leader and a budget and all the things I keep mentioning. So I think it's a forward step. I think it's key they haven't given up on it. You know, I think it's key that they brought it up a year ago because Bill Nelson is one of these people. We will keep it until this information comes public. We will keep living in this reality where guys like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, these millet uh, and some of these con congressional reps seem to have seen things that we haven't seen. They seem to have seen some videos. They seem to have seen some photos these in uh, SIG Intel, signal intelligence, they and and Mellon and Elizondo kind of say that all the time. There's all these other videos and photos that we can't show you guys that are better. Bill Nelson seems to have seen that stuff, and by him a year later, to after he got put into that job, to still be pushing it forward, I think is important. Whether or not where we get from a working group to an actual mission to an actual project, you know, you can go to NASA's site and just every mission has its own page, right? You can just go to the mission page. And when I write about stuff, I can be writing about anything. I can go to the Voyager missions from the 70s. Then there's still a mission page with budgets and who, who put it together and who. So that's the frustrating thing. But yeah, the fact that they're not giving up, they're continuing forward. I do think I saw somewhere that they are going to be looking at those older, like the STS-48, which is the the famous, you know, looks Tana. like they're shooting yep. at something or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, something's uh, yeah. coming in and then something shoots out and then it zooms back away or whatever. So I think that's what they're going to do internally is like, let's look at what we have. Let's look at, let's talk to our astronauts, let's look at any videos we might have that, We've held back any images we might have held back because we weren't sure. So I think that's the important first step for them to get their arms around it, get their hands around it, and see what they have over there. Let's hope it ends up with a, a, a formal mission, a formal program. Dan, they must have some very cool stuff in the vault at NASA locked away on MP3. Oh, yeah. And, and there's those, um, the, the kind of, I want to say conspiracy, but I don't because it's not uh, the the idea that when they were talking about Santa Claus during the moon mission, they were talking about some sources kind of on the horizon. And I'd love for them to dig into that. And even if they find out it's not true, you know, and ruin the romance there, it, it would be it would be great to get to the truth on that. And I want to ask just to finish up because Chris, your time's limited with us. You're you're going on to Christina Gomez's show next. You're doing the rounds yep. today, and uh, Dan, I only planned on doing about the hour on this anyway. And again, thanks to everyone who's who's joined in in the chat. It's been uh, a week or so since the congressional hearings, Chris. I'll ask yourself. Now we've we've had that time passed, and people are already talking about more congressional hearings. What have you heard? What are your thoughts? And what do you expect to come in the near future? Could we get 
further hearings as, as soon as this summer? Uh, I, I think so, yes. I think the yes to your last question. Uh, my father, who's still kicking at 84 years old, has a saying. You're either gaining ground or you're losing ground. There's no standing still in life. He would tell me that all the time. Chris, you're either making headway today, you're either getting ahead of things, or you're sitting still and life is passing you by and you're losing ground. The congressional hearings were some of the most significant ground that we have gained in a long time. You know, task force is wonderful, UAPTF, these sort of things. But to have it in front of Congress, you know, I was writing a story that I'm researching about the, the swamp gas incident from 1966. That was the last congressional hearings. I was born in 1969. I'm old. And there have been no congressional hearings in my entire life about this issue. So I thought it was huge. I thought it was really important and really significant. I think we're at the point, it goes right in line with what I was saying before, where should there be more hearings? And I think we're likely to get them in the Senate as well. We need to start bringing in the experts to tell them who, the, you know, I would have loved, if I knew those two people they had testifying that day, I write questions for Chrissy for her interviews all the time, right? Oh, you're talking to Avi Loeb? Here's 20 questions. Make sure to ask him. I could have written way better questions than were asked of those guys. And I think anyone who follows the UFO field could have written better questions. But I think we're reaching the point where the right people need to be there. And by that, I think Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Eric Davis, and Admiral Wilson can all be brought in, told in front of Congress, your NDA does not apply, and you need to testify openly and truthfully to Congress. And I think Mellon and Elizondo, who've said a million times, there's better videos and better pictures and maybe even debris, whatever. Let's let them go on the record. And for people that are critical of Elizondo or think there's another mission going on or he's made it all up or whatever, putting him on the hot seat in front of Congress creates a lot of liability for him if he is lying. So it also brings the controversy about Lou Elizondo to a conclusion one way or the other. So I think that is critical. I think he's somebody we need there with the freedom to speak. And I think Eric Davis is someone we need there with the freedom to speak. I think Admiral Wilson's in a tough position because if that document is true and if that meeting really took place, he probably did something illegal that he wasn't allowed to do by just talking about what he talked about to who he talked about. So I don't know that we would ever get what we want out of him. But if Eric Davis sat down in front of Congress and said, yeah, I met with Admiral Wilson in the parking lot. The memo is true. Where does that take us? Where does that take the discussion? So I think that's what we need to see is key witnesses that have key things to say that have essentially said it. And I told the told the interview earlier this morning, I'm half tempted to write a start a hashtag and write an article called Free Lou, because I think it's time to free Lou of his non-disclosure and let him talk and let the chips fall where they may. That. Amen to that. <laughs> as soon as we're done with this, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet about this hashtag conversation free with Lou. hashtag free Lou. Uh, I think that'd be great. Um, I'd be really intrigued to hear Jay Stratton talk as well. His name's out there now. He headed up a lot of what what's been going on, including the UAPTF. So uh, for for a period. So yeah, I, I think that his would name be got dropped yesterday somewhere. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, he he at the very least would be able to confirm that Lou did what he did, and like you say, yep. it just takes that controversy away from the subject mm -hmm. immunity for all the people who have kind of been caught up in this over the years i think is important we need to see these people coming forward we need to see these new names coming out constantly because there's no way that you know it's just a handful of people that's been involved in this over the years and lou in certain interviews has alluded to knowing where the pearly gates are mm -hmm. um where the information is kept so i think if we can get people like Lou in front of Congress testifying, they can start pointing fingers as to where Congress should be looking. Uh, our officials are becoming more and more educated the more we talk about this in these places. Before, no one knew what, oh, some people knew what the Wilson docks were, but not everyone did. Now, a lot more people know. So the lights being shined in the dark places, finally. Uh, and, and we're going to start just putting down those little guess who faces and, and we'll be left with, you know, a compass direction at the very least.
And also, speaking of amnesty or immunity or things along those lines, you know, when Congress does an investigation, they can often appoint a special investigator. If you remember, like, for people that follow politics over here in the States, that's what got President Bill Clinton in trouble, was a special investigator was looking into, like, illegal use of of funds or whatever, and we ended up with Monica Lewinsky, right? So um, the idea of having an investigator, Take, taking the low-hanging fruit, taking a guy like Lou, who we're pretty sure he hasn't done anything horrible, that we're going to give him immunity and he's going to go, oh, yeah, I gaslighted a bunch of people into thinking they were abducted and they're all in mental hospitals now, right? So I don't think we're going to find that from him. But if there is somebody who did that, maybe that's somebody we don't want to give uh, immunity to. So when you have a special investigator, that's what they can do. They can start bringing these people into hearings one by one. And if Eric Davis says, yeah, I met with Wilson and this is what happened, that that investigator, rather than having it in an open hearing, can go meet with Milson, start doing that research, go meet with the people that that Lou says, oh, it's over here at Lockheed Martin or whatever. So there are processes in place for Congress to look at this in a real way if that's what they want to do next. And so I think... This was the public trial balloon. This was the, are we going to get laughed at by the world if, if as a, a legislative body in the biggest country in the world, if we, uh, if we look at UFOs, is this going to, is this going to backfire on this? That did it just the opposite. If anything, it's as bipartisan an issue as we have here in the States. Uh, I, I find myself being retweeted by c- congressional representatives whose politics are completely opposite of mine, but uh, they're they're all in on this, and what they found was tremendous cover. They got I can't think of any blowback. I think maybe there was one report in Australian news where they played the X Files music in the background, right? But when I was growing up, that was de rigueur. Any any news report on UFOs ran with X Files music and Scully and Mulder, or Little Green Men, shots from the movie. Uh, Mars attacks. I mean, literally, that would be the Phoenix lights were reported where I grew up in San Diego with Mars attacks clips at the beginning, right? Like, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, that's what I think. To be fair, Mars attacks is one of the best documentaries on oh. this subject out there. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, um, we're, we're just running out of time. And just to wrap up, thank you both for joining us. Um, this coming week, I just want to get final thoughts from, from you as well on this, Chris. Uh, Dan, we've spoken about it, but on Monday and Friday next week on YouTube, my interview with Randall Nickerson, Randall Nickerson, um, Aerial Phenomenon documentary and pro- uh, director and producer uh, is out. And that was a fascinating documentary. Really enjoyed it. I recommend people check that one out. Uh, Chris, you wrote an article on aerial phenomenon recently as well. What were your thoughts on the the documentary and and kind of the fallout as well from that? I'll try and keep it short, but thanks for asking, Andy. Um, <clears throat> when I watched the documentary the first time, Chrissy got me a, a an advanced copy uh, about a month ago. You know, because what we do for a living, and we knew I was going to get to rewrite a review of it, and uh, I didn't like it initially. I made it through the whole 90 plus minute thing. And uh, as I was saying on an earlier interview today, as I was watching, it was moving lower and lower in my chair, like getting more and more depressed. And by the time the thing was over, my wife says, not good. And I said, I didn't like it. Then something really interesting happened. Chrissy Newton sent me the press kit, right? Now in the, and this is, this will come back to my article, but in the press kit was everything that I thought was missing from the movie. But meanwhile, as a member of the press, I'm getting this, but nobody else is getting this. So I included what I think was most critical in that article. And by that, what I mean was, here's what I would have liked from Randall Nickerson. I would have liked him to open the film with three minutes of information. Hey, I've been researching this for X number of years. I There were 62 students. I talked to 45 of them. Uh, I, this is how many said it really happened. Here's the ones that said it didn't happen. Here's the teachers I talked to. I think a lot of us wanted that forensic analysis. The same way I'm talking about a special investigator getting in there and finding the details about these things. I think that's what I really wanted from that story. Because I think we kind of knew the like the kids all saw something. And 20 years later, they're all saying, yeah, I saw something. Like the story hadn't changed. So we really wanted him to dig in and find more. Well, he put all that in the press kit. So I included that in my article. So if you want to read, if you want to watch the documentary, do what I did. Rather than watching it being depressed, 
read my article. And there's a but you can even scroll down in my article, and the sentence starts like, luckily for debrief readers, I have included that information from the press kit right here. And then in there is how many people he talked to, the fact that none of them have changed their story. He spoke to over 40 of the 60 students, the fact that all of them still have the same recollections. And literally the only person he met who changed their story from the beginning to the end was one teacher who back in 1994 didn't believe it happened and now believes it did. And now says he believes the students. It was literally, and there's always the number of hours he put in, the number of interviews. So I would have loved a three-minute opening where he said, hey, I talked to these people, I did this. Let us understand the, the legwork and, and the actual mechanics of what went into this research. And then when you watch the documentary, so then I watched it again. And when I watched it a second time with that information in my head, I was completely satisfied. It was like, oh, this all has context now. So uh, not too much of a self-plug here. But if you're thinking about renting it or you're thinking about watching it, go to the debrief, click on my article. It's a REL docu phenomenon, a, a, a journey worth taking or something is the headline. And uh, yes, yeah, down there in the article, uh, along with a lot of cool photos and stuff and, and drawings from the kids and stuff I put in there. But I gave that piece information. I felt that was the only thing that was missing. And once you add that in, all of a sudden you're oriented. It's like it's like uh, eating in a restaurant and all of a sudden somebody hands you the menu. And you go, okay, now I know where I am. I know what all these things on my plate are. I know where everything came from. So once that was in my head, I was like, wow, what an impressive piece of film this guy's made here. So, do you know what it sounds like, Chris, for you? Is you know you get those artists that do a drawing and it makes no sense when you see them doing it and they speed paint. And then at the end, you're like, there's something there, but I can't quite make it out. And then they turn it upside down and it's John Lennon. And you're yeah, like, right. Ah, yeah, right. That's that's exactly what's happened with you. I think. And that is exactly. I watched it that first time and I was walking around the house. And at this point, Chrissy Newton was talking to me about the debrief having the exclusive to write the review before the movie came out. And I was telling her, I, I don't know that I'm going to write that that positive and glowing of a review. I am the science editor at the debrief. I'm not the UFO editor. That's Micah covers that. So, and Tim gets into the defense side of it. So, uh, but once I had that information and she got me that and I read everything, I said, this interview, he has a, a Q and a in the press kit. He has an interview. I've told her we should put it all up on the website. So I think she's working on that so we can put all his behind the scenes information up there. And I know he's working on another, uh, like a DVD style, you know, a streaming release that has a bunch of extras to it. So, Yeah, Yeah, I I think he said there was a director's cut coming that he was working on. Yeah, he's got like 190 hours of footage he hasn't used. Uh, I'd be happy to pay and watch every single second of that. Right? That's what I said. I go, just put it up on a website somewhere. I'll watch every single hour of interview you have with every one of these kids. Because somewhere there is some gold that you missed. Well, you've got the article and then you've got the interview that I've done next week as well. And if that still doesn't convince you, then nothing will. But I, I recommend people part with their money. It's worth it. A lot of effort did go into it, like you say, Chris, as well. He It was 15 years in the making, and that's not an exaggeration when you listen to, to Randall talk about it as well. But, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to everyone who, who tuned into the live. The numbers have just kept going up. So thank nice. you very much. We, we, we do always say we're going to do more of these, and we'll try. We'll try and at least do another one in June at some point uh, <laughs> go and check out dan's interview with dr michelle fournay on his new pod coloring outside the lines uh, that was on dan whale song whale language and basically you know you you tell them you tell them not yeah them. i mean uh, dr michelle fournay is a marine ecologist and she's studying uh how how species communicate via acoustics basically decoding whale song and whale language really interesting interview and and really speaks to the complexity of the world we have and how life as we know it as a phrase really is is a bit limited and it's kind of being broadened out the more we learn about the universe so i thought it was a really fascinating interview and I, i'd recommend anyone go watch that because she is one of the people the government are going to send helicopters to when they need to decode the alien languages you got it uh, gentlemen thank you both for your time and speaking of whale language i will sign off with this Woo. <laughs>
that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course on twitter it's at ufo uap am and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue